Hello, and welcome to the Lacrosse Matrix podcast, where stats make the story. Please enter the matrix now. Hello, 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 everybody, and welcome to episode number 46 of the Lacrosse Matrix podcast, where stats make the story. As always, I am your host, Adam Levy, and I am so grateful to be joining you for another amazing episode of the Lacrosse Matrix podcast. And I have to say that these next three episodes that I have for you are going to be a little different, and they are going to be special because we are highlighting three coaches who have been around the National Lacrosse League for such a long time, and it just so happens that each of the three coaches that will be highlighted over the next three episodes starting today have coached in their 200th game. Now, all of those coaches have now coached in 201 games. That was uh, in week 18 action last week. So they have all surpassed the 200 games coached mark in NLL history. Very exciting stuff for them. So I wanted to highlight each of these three amazing coaches And today we are starting with the Vancouver Warriors head coach, Troy Cordingly, who has been a journeyman of sorts uh, through the National Lacrosse League, both as a player, but also as a NLL head coach as well, as he's held other positions in the National Lacrosse League as well. But we'll touch on that in just a little bit. So without further ado, Let us get to our first of three coaches that I am highlighting in back-to-back-to-back episodes, Troy Cordingly. So, of course, the number of the week this week and for the next three weeks or the next three episodes will be 200. So let's get after it and find a bunch of nuggets regarding Troy Cordingly and his time in the National Lacrosse League. Let's get after it. Head coach Troy Cordingly has been around the National Lacrosse League for quite some time, and and even that doesn't describe how involved he's been in the NLL over several decades. Starting in 1993, Troy Cordingly had his rookie year with the Buffalo Bandits as a player, and in seven games, he scored eight goals and had 10 assists for 18 points, and he would finish his regular season career in 2001, splitting time between the Albany Attack and the Rochester Nighthawks, where he recorded 13 goals and added 27 assists for 40 points in just 14 games. Now, in total, over nine seasons in the National Lacrosse League, during the regular season, uh, Troy Cordingly scored 128 goals, had 184 assists, and totaled 312 points in 87 games. He spent one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, count that lucky seven seasons with the Buffalo Bandits, and won two NLL championships, both uh, with the Bandits, one in 1993 and then again in 1996. Unfortunately, there is a loss sandwiched in between those two wins in 1994. During his playing career, Cordingly also had a lot of playoff success in a few years. He was part of the postseason six different times, five of those times with the Buffalo Bandits from 1993 till 1998, only missing the 1997 
playoffs in that span and then had a uh, a playoff run, a very short one-game playoff run with the Rochester Nighthawks in 2001, and he had uh, 15 goals and 18 assists over nine games for 33 points in the postseason. Accordingly, also put in a lot of effort grabbing the loose balls over his nine seasons in the NLL. Accordingly, had a total of 344 loose balls, including a single season high in 1998 when he had 57 loose balls picked up. And as much as I like to reminisce about Troy Cordingly's playing career, the reason why we're here talking about him on the Lacrosse Matrix podcast today is because of his coaching career, which spanned over several teams, including time with the Calgary Roughnecks, the Toronto Rock, the Buffalo Bandits, and of course now the Vancouver Warriors. But before we dive deeper into the coaching career of Troy Cordingly, let's hear from the head coach himself about how he became a a coach and what his journey was like leading up to his first years as a head coach uh, for the Calgary Roughnecks during the 2008 and 2009 seasons. I started with uh, Buffalo as an assistant coach. Mm-hmm. Um, Darius Kilgore had asked me to, to come, and I just retired from playing, um, and I had to because of my ankle. So, I, I, you know, um, I still I felt that I still had so much more to give. And um, so I was very fortunate that I, to get the opportunity with the team that, you know, drafted me, and I, I won two championships with, and, so I, I did that for five years, um, and then um, our former GM Kurt Silcott um, um, moved from uh, Buffalo to um, Calgary to be um, the GM out there. And, and then when they had a, a spot open, he called me and asked me if I was interested. And, and uh, at the time, well, I, I mean, I, I have four children, but at the time I had four children under the age of seven. Wow. And yeah, and but my my wife is very supportive, and she said, you know, there's only I don't know how many jobs, eleven or twelve at that time of and of head coaching. You know, um, she didn't know how much passion I had for the game, so she, uh, you know, it was a family decision, and and I went out there and um, I spent uh, I think 2008 and 2009 uh, out there, um, and. Um, you know, I, I I coached with my my mentor. Um, you know, the, the man that uh, taught me a, a ton about the game um, in Terry Sanderson, and you know, he was, you know, anyways, it was uh, it was um, it was rewarding, obviously, because um, you know we we took over a team that was in last place the year before in 2008. We made it to the Western finals and then we won in 2009. So, you know, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun and, and, uh, that was the start of it. During coach Cordingly's time as an assistant with the Buffalo bandits, he went to the NLL championship game, both in 2004 and 2006. And unfortunately he and his teams lost in both of those NLL finals and the first one to the Calgary roughnecks and then to the Colorado Mammoth. The game against the Roughnecks was a three-goal game, 14-11, and then 16-9 against the Colorado Mammoth. And 
as we talked a lot about in the early episodes of the Lacrosse Matrix podcast, uh, when the Mammoth were making their finals run last season. You know, before last year, the last time the Mammoth had won the title was that 2006 year that they beat the Bandits. Once he eventually did take that head coaching job with the Calgary Roughnecks in 2008, accordingly, and the team went 7-9 and nine and then had a win in the postseason as well as a loss. During those 2008 playoffs, the Roughnecks did beat the Colorado Mammoth 15-13. to 13. Uh, A lot to, had to do with uh, Tracy Kaluski. You, of course, know that name because he is now the head coach of Panther City Lacrosse Club in the West Conference. Kaluski had seven points, two goals, and five assists that game, as well as Jeff Shatler added three and three for six points, and Josh Sanderson added a goal and five assists as well. But then in that 2009 season, now just a year removed of uh, being eliminated in the second round of the playoffs, the Roughnecks ended up going 12-4 and four that regular season, which to this day is their best record for a single season in terms of winning percentage. It does tie, uh, it set the bar at the time, but it now ties with the 2014 Roughnecks coached by Kurt Miloski, uh, and that team went 12-6, and six, but of course with six losses instead of four, the win percentage in 2009 is greater. During the 2009 playoffs, the Roughnecks coasted very, very comfortably for, through the first two games, uh, beating the Colorado Mammoth 15-8, to eight. and then the next week in the next round of the playoffs in the Western Conference Finals, the San Jose Stealth were the victims this time, and Calgary blew them out of the water 17-5. to five. When it came down to the championship game against the New York Titans, the, it was a much closer affair, but the Roughnecks did come out with the win. It was a 12-10 victory, a very thrilling and exciting game that was capped off by a nine-goal fourth quarter if you combine both teams' goals. It was the highest-scoring quarter in that game, Calgary outscoring New York 5-4. to four. Here's what Coach Cordingly had to say about how the team came together in 2009 to ultimately win the NLL Finals. I just think it was a combination of the players. You know, there was there was such there was good talent there, and just I don't know if they were they under underachieved, uh, but you know it was just a, I I guess the stars aligned. Uh, those two years because we, we took steps in the right direction and then uh, we won it the next year. Uh, it was gratifying for me just to see, um, you know, I always, I always, it's funny because I always, you know, when you win and you're a player, you know, you, you, you really, um, you know, you, you obviously you worry about your role and, and what it, it does for the team and that, but as a coach, you know, you kind of, um, um, you know, like you just, I just sit to sit back. I sat back that championship where we won it and watched how happy guys were, you know, just because the effort that they put into it. That was gratifying to me. You know, Kurt Malowski, um, his coach in, in um, Calgary, it was his, you know, I think he was, went to six other finals and lost everyone. And then this one he won. So it was just really, really good to see, see stuff like that. And, and, you know, like it was, um, coaching Dane Dolby to, you know, you knew he was he was uh, in his second year, but it was really his first year of, of playing, and and he was 
you could just see how brilliant he was and how good he was going to be. And, you know, it was just, a, it was just, a, a, it's hard to explain because, you know what I mean? Like it just, you know, and, and, you know, we still have like the friendships from that, uh, that year, um, um, you know, we st- I still carry on with me, right? It was just a, a very tight-knit team. After Cordingly did win the NLL championship in just his second year as a head coach, it was time for him to make an important personal decision and head back home, back out east to his family with four young kids uh, and his wife taking on so much of the responsibility while he was working, which he is incredibly grateful and always will be to his wife for stepping up and doing that for his family, for their family, I should say. It is important. Uh, it was important for him to to be close to all of them, and so that kind of takes us in how he ended up with the Toronto Rock, and I'll let him explain how that all came about. Well, in '08 and '09, it was with Calgary, and you know, flying back and forth, um, and having a young family at home was it was um, it was tough. It was tough, you know, on on my wife and my family, you know. Um, so after 09, we won. Um, you know, I, I kind of felt, okay, um, we've done, you know, we, I did, or we did what we, we wanted to accomplish. Uh, did it sooner than later. But anyways, it was, it was good. And then, um, I just, I decided that I wasn't going to go back any further because, you know, I was, you know, four kids under seven and, and leaving every weekend. And it's, it's, it's gruesome, you know, on, on, on the family. So I, I decided to, to, uh, um, uh, step down from, from Calgary. And, and then, uh, at the same time, um, uh, Toronto was, um, um, sold to the, uh, Jamie Dowick, who's the owner now there. And, um, a couple months after I, I, um, stepped down from Calgary, he reached out to me and, and asked me if I was interested and, and, you know, we just had some conversations and, and then it worked out and that's, that's how I became a, um, the coach of the Toronto Rock. We all know that in the National Lacrosse League, these guys, these, both the coaches and the players, they sacrifice so much traveling all over the, all over North America to, to follow this passion of theirs of being around lacrosse, being around professional lacrosse, but it comes at such a great sacrifice. And so it is really incumbent upon them to to give as much back to their families as they can, when they can. And so it was really great for, for Coach Cordingly to be back around his family. Now, Coach Cordingly did spend four seasons with the Toronto Rock uh, from 2010 through 2013. He went uh, nine and seven in that initial year, and believe it or not, in a second year again. Now, with the Rock in that second year, they also won the NLL championship. In the first of four seasons with the Toronto Rock, the team was led by Colin Doyle with 84 points that year and by Bob Watson, who was in between the pipe. Of course, those are two legends uh, of the game, Bob Watson with a 9.31 goals against average that season. But also in that 2010 year, they had two notable rookies who had incredible years. Garrett Billings in his first year scoring 83 points and Stefan LeBlanc adding 82 points of his own in his rookie year. And that is very notable because those points 
put them in terms of rookie point scoring in the top 10 rookie list all time for points in a single season. Billings's 83 points are still to this day the seventh most points ever by a rookie in a single season. Now, that might change depending on where Jonathan Donville finishes in terms of point total this season. But then Stefan LeBlanc's point total of 82 tied with Gavin Prout for the eighth most by a rookie in a single year. Now, it is also notable to, to say that these two teammates are the only teammate rookies to both be in the top 10 all-time for rookie scoring. Now, again, in just his second year as a head coach, accordingly led the Toronto Rock to another championship win that season, going 3-0 and in the postseason. All very, very close and competitive games that year, but they beat the Rochester Nighthawks 10-8, the Buffalo Bandits on the road in Buffalo 12-11, and then the Washington Stealth in the finals 8-7, Washington had been very successful that year prior and actually won the NLL championship the year before, so it was a huge win for the Rock. Now, this team was headlined again by LeBlanc and Billings, but Blaine Manning and Colin Doyle also had it 145 points combined. Now, those four guys that I just mentioned all had 70 or more points now, on the defensive side of the ball, and it's very interesting to note that in 2011 was the first time that the National Lacrosse League started recording, caused turnovers, and Stephen Hoare, who was uh, in the top 10 for so long in terms of face-off wins in the regular season, he was on that team. He won 47.9% of the face-offs in the regular season, and then 50% of the face-offs in the postseason, he had 25 cost turnovers that year, and then Phil Sanderson added 23. And if you do look at this season's stats, you will already see that Dane Smith has 79 assists in 15 games, so there's three games left to play, and those 79 assists actually already bring him into the top 10, tying Sean Evans for the ninth most assists in a single season all time. And he is now, of course, only three shy from tying Garrett Billings uh, in that spot. So it'll be interesting to see where Dane falls. And then also, just to, to important, I, I feel, to, to mention Mitch Jones behind Dane Smith by nine assists with three games to play himself. He's got 70, so he also could be passing Garrett Billings. All good things must come to an end, though, at some point, and while The Rock did have a 10-6 record in 2013 and finished first in the East Conference, they did lose in the first round in the East Semifinal and quite decisively 20-11 uh, against the Minnesota Swarm, and then by the end of that playoffs at the uh, during the offseason, the Toronto Rock made the decision to switch head coaches, and then Coach Cordingly will explain to you how he then ended up in Buffalo just a season later. Um, so, you know, we uh, I got fired from Toronto in um, 2013. Mm -hmm. We had finished first overall in the regular season, and then we, uh, uh, we um, um, didn't do well in the playoffs. We got put out first round. Uh, so, they, you know, they wanted to change voice and um, you know, so they they moved on, and so um, uh, Steve Dietrich, who was with uh, 
with uh, us as the goalie coach in Toronto. He was with us when we won, and he uh, uh, was the GM there. And, and um, he called me and asked me if I was uh, interested again. And, and so it was another another team. It was another kind of a challenge, you know. I to you know the team. I, I believe. Um, um, was in last place or you know didn't do as 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 well as they thought so um you know it was uh and, it, and buffalo was um, you know that that's basically you know when i played there was no toronto uh rock so buffalo was kind of like a, a hometown for me uh and you know i've been involved with them for a lot of years and, you know um so um i went there and and uh you know um I've been there. Well, I was there ever since uh, um, the beginning of this year. So I was uh, fortunate enough to coach, and then um, uh, then they offered um, uh, me assistant GM because I wanted to get into being a GM and, and get out of coaching. Um, you know, and, and um, at that point, in my in my time, and um, but now that I'm back coaching, like I just. You know, I thoroughly love coaching, and and I I, learn, I love doing the GM stuff as well. Starting in 2014, Troy Cordingly then took over the job with the Buffalo Bandits, and he was there through 2018, there for five seasons, and he, in his first three seasons, improved the team exponentially, going from eight and ten to eleven and seven in 2015, to thirteen and five in 2016 and ultimately winning Coach of the Year, the Les Bartley Coach of the Year Award in 2016. Now, this was his second Coach of the Year, the first one he won back in 2009 when he was in Calgary when they won the championship that year. Now, here are some thoughts from Troy Cordingly about the Les Bartley Coach of the Year Award, which Coach Cordingly is one of only a handful of coaches to have ever won the award twice, uh, and he has clearly shown how he is an exceptional coach when he takes over a new team, so it is no surprise that he has won it twice. But here are some interesting thoughts, uh, a few different bullet points here that Coach pointed out about the award and what it was like for him to win it. First off, I don't know why they call it Coach of the Year, because the, yeah, the coach you know, has final say or whatever, but the, your staff is so important to you. And it drives me crazy that it's just called coach of the year. It should be coach staff of the year, you know, um, and, you know, um, it, you know, it just bothers me that that's that because your, your, your staff is, is so important and you're the guys that you're, you know, you're working as a group, right? So you're just a, an extension of the team. Um, and, um, you know, uh, I just, uh, you know, one guy as a, as a lacrosse as a as a team, you know, you, you you don't have one player that wins you the championship. It's every single guy that has to buy in and do the things they do, and that's the way I see it with, with coaching. Um, and then, but it was an honor for me to win that because my my former coach Les Bartley, the trophy was named after Les Bartley, mm-hmm. um, and I had him in Buffalo when we won championships. In, you know, and he's he's probably the the greatest ever to coach in this league, and and you know it was an honor for me to to win that award um, because of of his name is attached to it. But and then the last part is, you know, I don't coach to uh, win individual awards um, 
because that'd be hypocritical of me, um, you know, to to do that. Um, simply for the fact that you know we're, we preach team, we preach everybody's important, and you know, then all of a sudden you're you're you know winning a, a and it's a, it's an honor to win it from the league, but you know it's that's not why we do it. We do it to to win the big top prize. Unfortunately, during his time in Buffalo, this was the stop where accordingly did not win an NLL title, although the team did make it to the NLL Finals in 2016 with that 13-5 record, but ultimately was knocked out in the championship game. Uh, that was against the Saskatchewan Rush. Now, if you remember, this was the Saskatchewan Rush dynasty of the late 2010s and so it was a very formidable opponent but it was an incredible incredible series two games but the rush won the first one 11 to 9 and then the second game was 11 to 10 it really was uh, such a competitive defensive series Uh, if you like defense it was definitely one of those great series over the last 10 years or so that series is etched in history with Jeff Cornwall Cornwall scoring uh, the game-winning goal, the championship-clinching goal with only five seconds left in the game of Game 2. What an exciting finish that was as he scored in transition. That 2016 season can also be remembered by Dane Smith's 137 points with the Buffalo Bandits, which is still an NLL single-season record. Obviously, Dane, if you remember last season, came oh so close to breaking that record. He had 135 points last year, but Dane, with his record-setting 137 points that year, as well as a record-setting 72 goals scored in a single season. Accordingly, would then follow up that stint as a head coach after he uh was not with the job anymore after the 2018 season, and he moved on to being an assistant general manager, among other positions. Other positions including director of scouting for the Bandits. So it was very interesting that after a few years outside of coaching that Troy accordingly did decide to come back to the coaching position with the Vancouver Warriors and it has been a roller coaster of a year so far. A very a tough start. Well, it was it was tough to adjust at first because you know I'm up in the press box and and I'm doing um, you know I'm I'm doing help helping uh, chugger out mm-hmm. with regards to the GM duties. Um, and you know he was he he was great. Like he, uh, I learned so much in the in the three years that I was with him. He. Um, you know, um, just, you know, from trades to, you know, signing guys to contracts, just the way he thought, the way, you know, his reasoning in that. And, and I learned a ton from, from that. And, and, you know, he's been pretty successful. He's put on, you know, he's, I know he hasn't won yet, but he's, he's, you know, been to um, three championships since 2016 and, and, you know, um, they're close every year and they've got a team that competes every year. And, you know, he's just real good at replacing guys when, when guys are, are, you know, close to retirement or, or, or are retiring and things like that. So, um, uh, so the, the toughest thing for me was I, I just wasn't close enough to the action. That was just, you know, I, I, I learned a lot, but I just, I, you know, I wanted to be in the trenches and, 
And um, so that's why, you know, when Vancouver called and, and asked me if I was interested, I, you know, I jumped at it and, and um, you know, uh, wanted to, you know, um, get close to the, to the game again and, and, you know, contribute that way. The Warriors started the year out 0-4 before winning their first game against the Las Vegas Desert Dogs, the newest National Lacrosse League team. But then, unfortunately, that win was followed up by a five-game losing streak. So in their first 10 games, the team was 1-9. and And, you know, it was expected that there would be changes and, you know, the, that Coach accordingly, with everything that he had achieved with his previous teams, would want to have success with this Warriors club, but it was going to take a, a culture change. It was going to take some some movement, and then so we saw a lot of that with Steve Fryer being released earlier in the season. Of course, the big trade, Mitch Jones going to Philadelphia for Steph Charbonneau, and then Justin Salt being released, and it's really been such a, a drastic change, Aaron Bold coming in, and now we have a team that has won three of its last two, almost four of its last five. They unfortunately, although they mounted an incredible comeback against the Rush in the fourth quarter, uh, lost their last game on April Fool's Day, 12-11, which was uh, definitely tough for them to stomach, but three games left and can finish strong this season. So here's what Coach Cordingly had to say about changing the dynamic of this Warriors team that has struggled to win over the last several years. When you change the culture of a team, and you know, um, it's it's like, you know, I I guess I've at first, you know, I, I thought, you know, you know, we can do this, like it's, and we can do this. There's no question about it. But um, you know, it's it's just taken a little bit longer than than I anticipated. Um, you know, um, and the. Um, uh, um, the, the, the players, like, you know, they, lately they, you know, um, it's been, it's, you can see the change. You can see the change. You can see us, uh, fight for, for everything that we earn. Um, and, you know, we, the, the, the mental part of the game has it changed drastically where, you know, before I, the team would be, um, somewhat satisfied with staying close and, and that just, you know, it's unacceptable to the coaching staff and it's, and the leadership. I'm going to tell you, the leadership of this team has been phenomenal. It's been real good. They, they've, you know, some older guys have been patient with with the process. Um, and our dressing room, you know, for, for a team that, you know, we were one and nine at one point or, or whatever we were, but you know, the the dressing room is 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 unbelievable. How guys are are tight, and how guys are, are you know not bickering or you know with rooms that are one and nine. That's right. So our our leadership, you know, in in our assistant captains and captains and and other veteran guys have has been a, a big part of why this team has um, has changed. Part of changing the culture is finding the right pieces, the right guys to bring in, and you know a lot of a lot of his experience, not only as a former head coach and his years as a player, uh, helps at evaluating and understanding who are the talented guys and also the guys that are are good for the locker room. But that time as uh, you know assistant GM and and being in the front office there with the Bandits was incredibly beneficial to. Cordingly's role now uh, as a head coach and also 
as a interim GM? It's it's bringing in the pieces that that um, are going to buy in, you know, and one hundred percent, and pieces that you know um, you have players that so offensive players are very 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 confident in themselves. Um, and, and, you know, I don't believe there's a selfish player in the league at all, but I just think that sometimes players, you know, they, they, they want to try to do things, um, you know, not with it within the team structure or whatever you have. it. So, you know, we, um, um, you know, you want to have the right pieces in the room and, and, you know, the players are, are real good. Um, and you know, when you have the right pieces in, in the room, um, and especially your, your big pieces, uh, because obviously, you know, you, you have players that, um, have a little bit more responsibility than others and those big pieces, um, you know, are echoing what you are echoing and believing in, in, in what you're doing, you know, that's, that's where you're going to find success. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm a firm believer that. You know, you you need um, those pieces in your room um, because, you know, uh, again, it's a team game. And, you know, if you're a coach, it's going to come in and, and you know, um, it, it's my way or the highway. It's not going to work, right? Mm-hmm. So I think it's, we just have to be flexible as coaches, um, uh, especially nowadays, and, and um, you know, have the players, you know, um, and, you know, they just need to. I don't know how to say it, but they just need you. You just need a hundred percent buy-in as that for success. With a career that is now going into the start of its third decade, it's uh, been so many ups and down memories for Coach Cordingly, and so I had to ask him what are some of his favorite memories, whether it was games, seasons, players, whatever it was that came to mind about memories that he had over his extended period in the National Lacrosse League? Yeah, it would obviously would be um, the championships. Um, You know, you you work so hard and, and, you know, as a coach, it's gratifying to see the guys, um, you know, work their their asses off throughout the season and and they said it's a sacrifice that everybody makes on this team, you know, because they got jobs, they have jobs, uh, in this league, and then they, you know, on, on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it's it's all across, all across, all business and that, and you know, the time away from their wives and girlfriends and family, you know. So when you when you win a championship and and you know what struggles you've gone through and what you know how difficult it is, that's that's the biggest uh, the biggest thing for me. Um, you know, obviously, and you know, I'm, I'm you know. Um, happy for guys that have, um, you know, um, have, um, championships or, or have, uh, individual awards, like, you know, top scorer or whatever. That's great because it's, they're just contributing to the team to make the team successful. Um, and then, you know, uh, one thing is, is I, I played, uh, with coached and coached with, uh, is John Tavares. He's obviously the, the, the GOAT in my mind as a, as a player um, that, that that's ever played in this league. And, you know, he, um, um, you know, just to see his, his success, not only as a player and, and how 
you know, how old he was when he retired. Um, and, you know, just what he's done is, has been, uh, has been probably, um, um, if I was to talk about a player like that, that would be the, the, the biggest, uh, player that I would talk about, um, you know, seeing how well he's done. There is no lacrosse matrix podcast poll this week, but I am so glad that we got to cover coach accordingly and everything that he did as a player and as a coach at every single stop he was at. So incredibly successful over the 200 plus games that he has been coaching in the national lacrosse league, many championships, uh, both as a player and as a coach, uh, so much experience, and it really seems like uh, there is hope here in Vancouver for the team to really turn things down and and turn things around and turn them around quickly, especially with his history of turning things around very quickly. I don't know, does next year mean that the Warriors are going to end up at least in the, the finals? It seems to be a bit of a trend for this team to to go to an NLL finals in the first couple years that Coach accordingly is at the helm with this team. So we'll see what happens in the years to come. But it's been great talking to Coach accordingly, great telling his story. And thank you all for joining me for this amazing episode of the Cross Matrix Podcast. Stay tuned uh, because the next episode is going to be coming out very, very soon. We're going to be covering the next coach that I have on the docket. So be ready for that one. And we'll talk soon, everybody.